It's time for Speaking of Speaking, quick tips and tools to take you from stage fright to spotlight. This podcast gives you an inside look from the world of public speaking and speaking secrets you need to be bold from the stage, no matter what business you're in. The host of Speaking of Speaking, Carl Richards. Thank you, Matt. And yes, it is another edition of the Speaking of Speaking podcast, where we really endeavor to help you be a better speaker, a better presenter, and ultimately a master in your business at the same time. And if you're doing that and you're listening to, I know we have a well over 100 episodes now, hopefully you're becoming a master at speaking as well. And to take a deeper dive into mastery and what that's all about is our guest today, William Bust. William Bust is a speaker, business mentor, and author of Intentional Mastery, Step Beyond Your Expertise and Build Better Business. Now, he enables business owners to become the masters of their markets, operate more effectively, and stand out from all their competitors. After all, isn't that what you want to do, is to be the person that makes you the go-to expert? With a strategic focus on building better businesses every day, his clients are at the heart of their work, making better decisions and empowered to excel. He's also a keen photographer, walker, and skier. William, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Gosh. Fabulous to be here and lovely to talk to you today. I'm thrilled to take this dive into mastery, but I need to ask you about your photography as we get started, though, because that's something that I sort of started to embrace when I was younger, but then I slipped away from it. So photography, what type of photography are we talking about here? So most of my photography is landscape uh, taking pictures of the world as I see it. That's quite an important part of it. It's as I see it. I'm trying to always look at the world from a little bit of an odd angle, frame something that is perhaps a little bit unusual and makes people just look at the photograph and ponder for a moment about what they're actually seeing and how it's presented. Does your photography work also sort of cross over into your business as far as, you know, I'm mastering this skill as well? Absolutely. And you've hit on something really important. Mastery is not just about the thing that you do in your work. You know, if you're a speaker, that standing on a stage as a speaker, you need skills to do that. You need experience to do that. But you also need stories to tell. And those stories come from everything else that we've done in our lives. And so for me, the photography is very much a part of how I work with clients. I work with clients as a business mentor in the same way as I was just describing. I'm trying to look at their business in a slightly different way and to see things that they're not quite seeing and play them back so that they can get a picture of their business. See, all that photography language is all embedded in what I'm talking about. And by seeing that extra elements that I can show to them, they latch onto that and build the better business that they want to build. So it is something that you are applying then into your interests outside of business, but they're obviously really a huge part of what you're helping people with all the time. What does mastery mean and why does it even matter? Why do we need to focus on mastery? Really good question. And for some people, you don't have to. And let me explain why I say that. I've identified it over uh, the 20 or so years I've been working with business owners is that there's a journey we go on. We start off in working lives and in fact in life in general, knowing nothing, but knowing that we want to know something. And that's a stage that I call the explorer. Mm. And you're just, you know, it's like when you first pick up a camera for the first time, you don't really know how it works, but you press a button and pictures appear. But you're just 
trying things out, experimenting. Explorers become novices. So novices have some skill, but they're honing that skill and trying new things and building experience. And with that experience, they become a practitioner. And that's the kind of third stage of this journey. Two more to come. The practitioners, though, I think there's an awful lot of people who have a great career, do a great job every day. We know they're going to do a great job, and that's enough for them. They're very happy to be good at what they do and not wanting to push any further on. But some people want to narrow down a little bit, build an expertise. And that comes of deep experience and looking at how what they do can work in different contexts. It's a bit like with my photography. When I first started, I would take pictures of anything. But as I became more expert, I recognized where I had the skill, where I had the talent, which is about landscapes and about the world around us rather than headshots or food photography or architecture. So I'm out in the countryside. That's where I want to take my pictures. That's where my expertise is. All of that has been about building something that's been missing or either been missing knowledge, missing skill or missing experience to get to expertise. Mastery, though, is another step further, and that's about the insights that all of your experience across everything you do can bring to bear on the thing that brings you the most joy and the most value to your clients. For speakers, it's about understanding that the topic that you are speaking about in every detail. And when you do that, it doesn't matter what question an audience throws at you, you're going to know how to handle it. It doesn't matter if something goes wrong with your slide deck. You're not going to worry about that. It's not going to put you off. You can just keep talking and deliver a great speech without them. The lights go out. Well, you'll manage that as well, you know, because you know your topic well enough to be confident and deliver it well. And that's true in any business. The people who do really well know their product, know their service inside out. It's what Master is about and why it's important. All right. That's it. That's all. That's all there is to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're going to keep going into the conversation. And thank you, by the way, for reminding me that my biggest pet peeve is, you know, PowerPoint. And when PowerPoint doesn't function or doesn't set up right, that it almost derails a speaker because they haven't figured out that, you know, slides were never designed to be a presentation. They were designed to be a part of or support to your presentation with graphs and charts and photos and things like that. So thank you for reminding me. That's my biggest pet peeve. <laughs> but I wanted to ask this question, William, as we start to look at mastery in more detail, is there a certain mystique or is I guess a good way to put it is, is there any mystery to mastery? Is there any mystery to mastery? I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about you know developing expertise. And you know I'm often asked, is there a shortcut? Is there a quick way I can do this? Yeah. The reality is, no, there isn't a quick way. There are quicker ways and slower ways. The quicker way is to be intentional. That's why I called the book Intentional Mastery, to really sit down and work out where do you want to be known as the person that does that thing, whatever that is, that has that skill or develops that particular topic. We could all be speakers on marketing by reading a few marketing books and standing on stage and talking about what those marketing books say. That's not going to get you great speaking gigs, is it? It's about developing the narrow niche that you really understand, the thing that you've put time, effort, energy, and insight into to understand in the detail and to be able to develop it and develop your own ideas 
and be able also to see it in different contexts, to be able to take your issue, Carl, with some part of your business and relate it to a similar issue that you've seen in some other business that's different and understand what those differences are and take them into account when offering solutions and ways to move forward. So you can't short circuit it, but what you can do is be intentional about Which are the parts of what I know and what I do that I really enjoy and that I know I can give value to clients from really having that depth of understanding and focusing on building your knowledge of those and, you know, constantly being curious about what else can my life teach me about this area of what I do. So I'm a business mentor. I spend time asking business owners uh, what they're working on and what's going well, what's going badly. One of the skills that I focus on mastering over time is the skill around questioning and how to ask better questions that elicit, you know, deeper understanding because of the thinking they provoke. I wouldn't say I was a master at that yet, but I will be working on that until the day I die, I expect, because that's the nature of it. We don't end this journey. We get better and better and better as time goes by. Quite often in business, certainly in the workplace, but even in business too, I think there's this concept of it doesn't have to be perfect as long as it's good enough. You probably hear that from time to time with clients. So when it comes to intentional mastery, is good enough good enough in your experience? Is good enough good enough? I think is the kind of mantra that a practitioner, that third stage of what we're talking about, would say. And in, in that world, good enough is good enough. But is it good enough to be a master? No, no, it's not. And I think it's one of the things that differentiates those people who do a great job day in, day out. You know, we go into venues to our speakers, especially, you know, we see the inside of a lot of venues and big halls and this. AV staff, and there's all those people that are involved in making that venue work as a venue. And most of them are in that good enough is good enough. You know, if the microphones work and the lights work and the audience is hearing what they want, that's great. What a master would do, though, is they would look at things like, where are the speakers in the room? And are there any places in the room where the sound might not be as good or as clear? Or the visibility of the stage isn't as good or as clear? And Is this a small room in which I can be quite intimate with the audience or is it a big room in which I need to use, you know, my gestures need to be bigger because they've got to be seen from further away at the back of this large room and adapting your style in the moment. Somebody who says good enough is good enough wouldn't do that. They would just deliver what they've always delivered. That's a really good analogy. I like how you painted that picture using the platform speaker as that example, because I quite often, well, all the time, actually, I will walk the room. I will analyze. Usually I won't do it myself because I will do it as a speaker, but then I'll do it as an audience member. So I will walk the room as an audience member to find out where are the dead spots. And I'll usually put somebody else on the stage and say, just talking to any microphone, doesn't matter which one, just talking to one of them. So I can hear where the dead spots are because it's not good enough for, (laughs) there's that term coming out again. For me, it's not good (laughs) enough for me to stand on stage and say, how does that sound? Because what's the response going to be? That sounds all right. It's good enough. That's the response you're going to get. I need to know in myself, for myself, where are the dead spots, where are their lighting issues, where are the pillars or the posts that people can hide behind. And I like how you also alluded to the fact about the gestures. If it's an intimate setting, I don't need to do these big, grandiose gestures. But if I'm speaking in front of 
10,000 people on a massive stage. Now it's a different game altogether. So I like how you brought that in. And which leads me to the next thing that I think I want to get into is what are some of the common strategic mistakes that you see people making and how should they be fixed? In the book, I talk about five key strategies that masterful businesses will have. Four of them relate to the business. I'll come back to the fifth in a moment. So the four in the business... I've uh, signaled them all starting with an S just because we like models that work like that. So signposting, marketing and communications, Mm -hmm. if you like. Sales, business that doesn't have sales isn't going to live for very long. The skills that are in the business, not just the business owners, but across the whole of everything it delivers and the systems that it has. Those four strategic areas of business, you don't get those right, the business is going to struggle. The fifth one, though, I think is the most important, and that's all about self. It's about being healthy, being resilient, mentally resilient, uh, being emotionally aware as an individual, understanding what is going to upset you, what's going to cause you to have an emotional reaction to things, what's going to make you joyful, you know, another emotional reaction, and really understanding those as an individual. Because when you do, and when you master those, so that you are in control of the way that you react to situations, it again comes back to, you know, the PowerPoint flips off, and we've all seen it, we've all seen speakers who just get, at that moment, completely flustered. A master speaker would say, oh, that's happened. Okay, let's carry on. (laughs) Or I've seen that happen many times where, as I said, it can derail a speaker, but then a speaker who is prepared, they've already asked to make sure there's a flip chart on the stage. They're maybe even going between flip chart and PowerPoint, or maybe they're just, they're not doing either, but they know that they have access to both if they want to do both. And that to me is a great example of firstly being prepared, but then also I think in the world we live in today, just from an audience participation or an audience keeping their attention, it breaks it up. So, you know, if you're turning off the lights or dimming them slightly so your PowerPoint looks better, right? Are you running the risk of people just playing on their phones or nodding (laughs) off? Or if you're keeping them engaged by also writing things on a flip chart, and again, in a room of 10,000 people, it might not work. But in the right setting, obviously those things work, but also being prepared that if the power goes out, for example, as long as there's a window and people can see you still, you should be able to give your presentation. I've been to a presentation where the fire alarm went off and we all had to leave the auditorium. We're out in the car park and the speaker just got onto a wall at the edge of the car park, got a low wall, you know, about a three-foot high wall, and carried on. And it was fabulous. You know, it was one of those moments that I'll remember for a long, long time. So, yeah, so that's part of it. And I think that whole self-awareness piece, the people who are really masterful at what they do are also extremely self-aware. They know how their emotions are going to play out. They know what triggers those emotions as well. So they spent time working on their emotional control, Because they have control of that, they're usually pretty mentally resistant. The world can throw most things at it. And they look after themselves. They eat well. They exercise enough to keep themselves fit and healthy. I'm not saying people have to go out and run 20 miles every day. But make sure that you're fit and healthy. Because if you're running a business and you're ill, well, the business ain't going to run so well. So, you know, just take time to look after yourself. So there's some discipline there that you're alluding to as well. And it's the discipline, not just within the business, but the discipline to make sure you're getting a good night's sleep, staying on top of your health, and also knowing, and maybe this is part of the discipline as well, is knowing when it's time to do things like 
step away from the business, take a break, go on vacation, and really respect that time. Because I find that there are a number of entrepreneurs who don't. I've seen it, and you've probably seen it too. People who will schedule calls, they'll say, oh yeah, 24-7, anytime you need to talk, I can talk to you. You know what? I don't subscribe to that. I used to, when I had a full-time job and a part-time business, I would say things like, sure, we can take a call on a Saturday because that's when I was working in my business. But now that I'm working full-time in my business, I go, you know what? Saturdays just don't work for me unless there's a timeline, there's a deadline, there's something that we're working on that really needs attention. Otherwise, that's me time. That's me time. Vacation. That's time for me to decompress and you know clear my head and be a more prepared, restful person when I come back from that vacation. You know, how many times have you heard people come back from vacation and they need to break away from <laughs> because they've come back from vacation? So all of those things, as I see it, and, and I'm assuming that this is your belief as well on how you also help people, is being respectful of themselves, but being disciplined as well in all of those areas. You know, having good boundaries. You know, we can all have boundaries. Some of them are not necessarily that good for us. You know, so make sure the boundaries you set are the ones that are good for you. And and your examples are great at that. You know, the boundary that says I'm focused on my business. I want it to be successful. Therefore, I'll work seven days a week is not a good boundary. I view uh, vacations as part of my working life in the sense of I am going to completely disconnect from work for a week or two, which is whatever length of time I'm away. And that's part of my job. My job is to disconnect from my work so that I can recharge and come back and feel fully motivated to put all the effort and time in. And that means actually I can do more in less time when I am working, and then have the time to do the other things that I enjoy, the photography, the walking, the skiing. Um, yeah, don't get me on skiing, Carl, because I'll, sl- I'll slide down any mountain with snow on. I was going to ask you about skiing. I live in Canada. You know, at the recording of this episode, we're March, and we have still quite a bit of snow on the ground here in Ontario, which, depending on where in Ontario you are, you're not necessarily guaranteed a good amount of snow in March. But hey, we have a chunk of it here. So I invite you, I'm not a skier, but maybe you could change my mind. Uh, <laughs> to at least give it a shot to slide down the slopes here because there's a lot of beautiful ski hills here. Yeah, I'd love it. It'd be fabulous. I've only skied in North America in the past and it's a very different experience from European skiing. You know, the, and no surprise, you know, it's a kind of big continental ski area as opposed to the, you know, Europe is quite close to the ocean. So we get a kind of different sort of snow, I think. I don't know okay. what it is. I'm not, see, this is an area I'm not expert in. You need an Inuit who will tell you all <laughs> of the different types of snow, don't you? But skiing too is another example of one of the things, you know, I'm a reasonably good skier. I've been skiing a little bit as a teenager and then I didn't ski again until I was in my 50s. I took it up again. I'm now, I've been skiing for 14 years. Every year I've skied for four weeks this year. Love it. It's one of my real pleasures. But I still take lessons. You know, I'll go away for a week now and I'm skiing, you know, difficult runs and enjoying them but I still take lessons because for me that's part of this journey to mastery it is a school day every day and constantly learning and learning from people who know something you don't or have a technique that you are not aware of or have been doing it longer and are better at it there's always something to learn that can make you a better skier better person better businessman better businesswoman um so you know open mind and a hunger and a curiosity for learning are really key to doing this well Wow. That's phenomenal. This has been a great discussion. I do want to take a moment though, to give people some direction and to help them to see where they're at when it comes to mastery. And you actually have an audit that really gives people that 
assessment. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So on my website, we'll give you the address of that in a minute. There's an audit. It takes probably about five minutes to complete. It's 20 very quick questions about your business. It's aimed very much at mastery in business. So if you're running a business, it's a very quick way to check where you are right now. It's a self-assessment. I get the results. I'll look at those and I produce a report that's not automated. I want to look at the results and I'll probably look people up on LinkedIn and learn a little bit about their business as well when we do that. And then I'll produce a report that plays back to them in those five areas that I talked about themselves, skills, uh, signposting, systems and sales and helps them to focus on the area of their business where they can get the best return by putting some focus on immediately. And then they can take that, take the advice in there if they wish to, and hopefully it'll make a difference in their business very quickly. That's phenomenal. And we'll make sure that we put a link in the show notes for you to click on that and take the assessment. And also in the show notes, we'll put a link to Intentional Mastery. That's the book. That's the book. Yeah. And the book is in three sections. The first section talks about what mastery is and the journey that we've talked about today. Mm -hmm. The middle section is those five strategies that we've been talking about as well. The final section is called Mastering Joy. And it's really about bringing pleasure and enjoyment to everything that you do. And that, to me, is the thing that is most important in any business. It should be fun. It should make you smile. It should be something you can be proud of and something that you can pass on or at least leave the memories of to others for long after you've gone. I was always of the attitude, if it's not fun, why are you doing it? So when work becomes work, you have to find something else to do. (laughs) Really, right? William, this has been a phenomenal, phenomenal conversation. Thanks for taking the time today. William Bust has been my guest. William, before I turn you loose onto the world to continue to master and help people get into mastery as well, I'll give you the final thought. Well, my final thought is, I think we've touched on this, Carl, is have have fun, focus on the important things in your business and in your life and become the master of those things so that you have the most fun that you can have in this world. It's a great way to leave it. William Bust, thanks so much for being my guest today. A pleasure. Thanks, Cole. And remember, get out there and own the platform. Thanks for listening to the Speaking of Speaking podcast. Fired up about something you heard today? Want to learn more? Be sure to visit carlspeaks.ca. And don't forget to follow Carl on Twitter at CarlRichard72 or join the Facebook group Speaking of Speaking 